Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. And the joy of today for me and for you, I think, is that I can actually talk to real people uh, in, in the flesh. Uh, welcome to Eve Johnson-Horton and to Richard Hoyles. Great to see you both. And uh, Eve, thank you for, for, for coming along, our first ever guest on Luck on Sunday. And, and you're back here in this, this very grandly refurbished Royal Box. I know, fabulous, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't do Zoom very well, so I'm, I'm much, much happier in the flesh. And can you, can you feel at home with the staff and the, and the mood and the weather lifting? Can you just feel that the, the fog is lifting and we're slowly... I think... I keep saying there is light at the end of the tunnel, but I mean the the only worry is it is actually a train coming towards us. But I am um, it is it is definitely getting better without a doubt. I mean the time for me when it will really get better is when we can get owners into the paddock because mm. at the moment that is the real bugbear. And I understand why it's done. I'm not moaning, but it's difficult for owners. They come racing and they you literally have to sort of shout at them over two two meters away and they can't come into the paddock. And when they can get owners in the paddock. That will, I really will feel we're, we're getting there. It does, it does feel like there is some, some light, doesn't there, Richard? I think so. I was just saying to you before we came on air, I was trying to work out why I'd enjoyed this particular week so much. And I think it's because this was the part of the build-up that didn't happen last year. We didn't have these trials into the guineas. The, your calendar was disrupted. Uh, there was no racing going on, of course, 12 months ago. So I think the fact that we are racing with a more traditional calendar looking to a guineas in the correct place and the derby in the traditional place then then i think helps a lot um eve's exactly right and it can vary vary from race course to race course as to what the owner's experience is like at the moment and that's often due to geographic layout of mm. you know where the weighing room is where they've moved the jockeys to change but uh, it will be nice when we can have a few few people back as well one thing that struck me is how how big some of the fields are. We spend so much time in this sport moaning about how there are small fields and horses are being exported abroad. There are 17 in the Fred Darling today. Some of the two-year-old races have been have been very well stocked and trainers you wouldn't normally expect to have two-year-old winners. Have, I mean, you had the first one, having two-year-old winners. I know, bizarre. <laughs> um, I think uh, it was very warm early mm-hmm. and I think everyone got their horses really ready really early and everyone was really excited. I mean, mine personally have gone backwards quite badly from the cold spell. So whether there might be a lull in the size... There is big field sizes now. I suppose everyone's got rolling. They just think, oh, I might as well run them anyway, um, even if they are going to need it. Um, but it's good. It's really good. And is there a bit of... Is there a bit of pent-up desire from last year? Is there a bit of an overhang from that, do you think? Oh, I think so, yeah. I think everyone just wants to get racing, wants just to get, get going, on with it. get, get on the with horses it. out. And, you know, keep going, because we've done... I mean, the real worry was, once we started last year, we were going to be stopped again. That was a real, real concern, I know, of all, all the trainers and owners. But 
unbelievably the BHA and all at racing have done so well to keep it going even when we've had various lockdowns they've kept going they've kept going and I think we're sort of almost keen to repay that by having big field sizes and keeping going and doing our bit because you know we must keep racing it's the most for us it's the most important thing I think as well it is the fact that you can't give the owner a great experience at the moment but if you can give them a runner then it is a lot better when they're stuck at home that they have something to look forward to as well so I think the the indication is that trainers want to be able to provide some you know bang for your buck if you like Absolutely. in terms of actually just getting out and racing and they've got written much better about letting us communicate with our owners on course you know we can do little videos we can do um pictures in the paddock we're allowed to talk to have the jockey videoing straight or talking straight to the owner down the um you know facetime or whatever so that is much better as well so you're then interacting allowing the owners to get more involved and that might be one of those good legacies left by the last year or so i mean there's not been much to cheer about but there are a few things yeah. that may well stay in place when it all gets back to something approximating normality. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, the very fact we're sitting here on Sunday you know, for a car that's just been moved back 24 hours, and I know it doesn't have all the ramifications of sponsors and crowds and everything else, but beefing up the Sunday programme, I think, has also been, you know, when people can come racing. Absolutely, you know, and I think, I think we really need to do that because it's been allowed, the Sunday programme has been allowed to get pretty poor. Um, and I think... When you, especially if the TVs are going to keep... I mean, you work for ITV. If they can get more coming on, going on a Sunday, then we should have better fields, better programmes, more yeah. for people to watch. I think that's right. I think the problem was always that Sundays was the addition, if you like. Everyone mm. fights over fixtures, and it was yeah. a bit like turning up to the buffet when all that was left was a few old volivant to take, and <laughs> yeah. you sort of nick them and stuck them on a Sunday. Um, but now, I think, particularly if you can integrate with the racing that goes on overseas in Ireland yeah. and France, then I think, you know, admittedly, jockeys... You know, would like to ride in France at the weekends, but it's hard, increasingly hard now. So I think, yeah, I think there's definitely things we can learn, Nick, and that certainly access for um, owners through video not being able to be on course is one of those. No stale volumes here at, at, at Newbury today. <laughs> We've put on a, a proper spread for you, and it wouldn't be a proper spread at the top table without some of the big players. One of those players is on the line now, William Haggis, to whom I can say congratulations on an amazing triumph in Australia yesterday with a Dave. What a warrior of a horse he is, William. Isn't he just, Nick? Good morning. Good morning. And is he OK after his, his triumph yesterday, beating that, that very, very talented mare, very elegant, who he's now 3-1 over? Yep, he seems fine. All reports are good. He lost two kilos at his food. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. We're having a look at the closing stages now. Your man, Tom Markwood, very, very well positioned. I spoke with you yesterday. You hadn't really had a chance to assess it. I'd imagine you've watched it a few times since. Yes, one or two. Uh, and one <laughs> or two after I've had a few glasses of wine as well. It looks much better then. Um, but uh, he rode a, a very, very solid race tactically, Tom. Um, and I think the, the, it, was awkward, it was an awkward race for Very Elegant. But uh, Tom was mustered, and oh, they've been very tightly matched in their in their meetings in the past. Do you feel that this was his best performance in Australia so far? No, I thought his best performance was last year on the soft ground or heavy ground. Uh, this year, it was Tom described it as just on the slow side of good, which, as everyone knows, um, he, he is the worst ground for him. Yeah, um, the softer the better. And last weekend, when it should have been run, uh, obviously the first meeting was cancelled for an electrical storm. 
which flooded the place. But uh, if it had been run last week, it would have been a heavy eight. And I think on heavy ground, you, you see that horse at his best. And um, it was tight enough yesterday for him, but he stuck his head out in one way. One. He won anyway. <laughs> uh, he's shown amazing resilience for all sorts of reasons this spring, though, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been a, a much more difficult trip than last year. Um, we had an issue before uh, his first Group 1 this year, um, and I don't think he was at his best in the round. But he, he, for me, he didn't race with the same enthusiasm. Yesterday, he was back on it. I'm still not sure that he's totally at his best yesterday. I think he was imperious in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes last year and the Champion Stakes um, at Ascot in October. OK, so he comes back this week, and what next for him? Oh, I don't know, really, Nick. Last year, he was he bounced out of his journey, and he looked fantastic, and I was going to give him a, a little couple of weeks in the paddock, and, and said, no, no chance. So we <laughs> aim for Ascot. So um, it'll depend. It's a little bit more complicated uh, this year because he's going to have two stops. He's got to ship down to Melbourne, tomorrow morning and a couple of days in Melbourne and then two stops on the way home, which isn't, isn't ideal. <clears throat> so we'll see how he, how he is when he gets back. Uh, I put him in the Tats Gold Cup and, uh, you know, I'm not sure I want to go to Ascot this year. I think if he were to have a summer race, I'd like to have a go at the, um, uh, at the Eclipse uh, or possibly uh, the King George. I'd love to get him up to a mile and a half just to see. I'm not saying that he needs it. He's pretty effective at a mile and a quarter, but uh, it's poured with rain at Ascot for King George Day the last three years, so I, I wouldn't mind having a go at that. But I think he's... I, I've learned... It's taken me six years, mind you. I think I think he's better going right-handed. <laughs> so uh, uh, we'll be aiming at all those races that go that way round. Well, that's the beauty of a horse like him. You know, you've got him for as long as you want him, really, and and you can never stop learning. Tom Marquand is, is learning about him all the time as well and has, has ridden him quite beautifully yesterday. Uh, he expressed how happy he was on Twitter. Look at this. Bl privileged, blessed, or just plain old lucky that I've come across an absolute champion like a Dave. A huge well done to Izzy, Safid, and everybody at Somerville Lodge. Thank you for all of the kind messages. See you all next year. I guess, William, that's an expression of the, the gratitude one jockey feels to one horse, and it's lovely to see. Yeah, I think I think there's a he's built up a very good relationship with this horse. He rides him well. The horse doesn't appear to let him down very often. And um, you know, he's a young man who's going places and he's he's come across a horse you you wouldn't say of a lifetime because he'll probably ride better horses than him, but he won't ride many more genuine ones and this horse will give him as well as us and we've been doing this a long time. This will give him a, a, a lifetime of memories. We'll be talking about him until we go to our grave, I suspect. Um, you might have trained more naturally talented horses than him as well. You have trained more naturally talented horses than him. But when I was watching you yesterday, I, I sort of sensed a real depth of, of satisfaction and, and pleasure from what this horse has done. Tell me why. Yeah, well, he, he's, he's come a long way. We've had him, obviously, since he was a baby. And uh, he went through the uh, handicap system, which is, um, you know, uh, what uh, we do, as Eve will tell you. We try to do anyway. And, and he took the graduation from handicaps to stakes class well. 
and he's just got better and better as we've got to learn more about him. Um, he's he, he's just got better, and he's I don't know how long it'll last. I was thinking this morning how sad it'll be when he he can't you know he starts finishing third and fourth and, uh, and that sort of thing. But at the moment he's unbelievably tough and resilient. He, he fights very hard. He's got a great zest and enthusiasm for racing. But we we are fairly mindful now of running him only when his conditions are right and uh, I hope and think that's why he's lasted. How much does the globe trotting aspect of this resonate with you personally? Yeah, I, I think this is really, really important. Um, I've I worked in Australia for Brian Mayfield Smith donkeys years ago and I always fancied uh, having a go down there if, if, if we got a horse good enough. It's a very expensive trip, and it's an arduous one, and it, it's it's you need a very plucky owner to do it. Um, but it's it's a very rewarding one, obviously financially if you can win. But the coverage and the the the, the build up to this race, particularly this race yesterday, was unbelievable. I mean, lots of people ringing me up at half past nine at night, which is early morning in Sydney, wanting interviews. And, discussions and all sorts of things and it's fantastic uh, quite apart from an, a magnificent pot of over a, a, a seven figure sterling um, but it, it, it's great and I want to win in Hong Kong I want to win all over the Far East and Australia I want to win everywhere really I, I've never had much luck in the States and uh, I find the, the track's a little bit tight and sharp for me um, but uh, I, th I think uh, international racing is huge. And Chris Waller, I've actually got a very small share in a horse with Chris. And I speak to him fairly regularly. And, um, you know, he's as international as anyone. And he's desperate to prove his horses around the world. And I think that's a really great attitude to have. And what do you think, apart from, apart from the obvious, giving, giving everybody a bit more money and, and growing the pot... What do you think we could learn from, from your experiences in Australia? What time does your show finish, Nick? <laughs> You've got a little bit of time this morning, William. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, as you know, I'm fairly uh, not involved, but I like to uh, uh, discuss these things, and uh, they've got a very good system. It doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to work out that... Uh, you know, if you have on-course bookmakers and off-course tote, you're going to reap the rewards, as has happened in Australia, Japan, Hong Kong and France. They're the rich nations. They're the ones with the prize money. And uh, the others have been left behind. And without government intervention in all these things, uh, you're going to battle along like we've been doing since I've been training and since Eve's been training, probably Eve's father as well. So um, that's the problem. And that is the root of it. As we all know, and there's not a lot we can do about it, but, but God, we are trying. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. We will reflect on, on the last few days in the sport, which has thrown up some real potential new stars, I think, at the Craven meeting, and hopefully a few more this afternoon here at Newbury. You'll be able to see it live with us here on, on Racing TV. Um, where shall we start? The Craven, I think, itself is probably a good place. And, and it was a week where, where Godolphin could be really encouraged by the depth of their three-year-olds, I think, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. One-two in the field and one-two in the Craven. 
better horse seemed to win. Um, William had already switched off at halfway, you know, half a mile out, caused a bit of trouble to Rostafair and in behind. Babarossa, by contrast, got the perfect split between horses and I think you'd be very happy with Master of the Seas. The irony, yeah. as Eve was saying, when you've got 200 good ones, most of the talk was about the other one afterwards, about one, the fact one, one ruler, ruler in yeah. the sense that, you know, and, and that's the, the interesting thing with these because, you know, they always think they've got a better one at home. I'd be 100% happy with that on the track, though, settled better, which I think was very, very important. I mean, William Buick has said, Charlie Appleby has said, well, if one ruler's better than this, I mean, he's, he's some serious horse, because they, you know, the superlative stakes last year showed you the Master of the Seas was a good horse. He's obviously got a little bit of a kink, but a nice, kind of a good kink in him. If he can harness his talent in the right direction, Eve, he could be very good. I'd take one proven on the track to one galloping one at home every day if I was the jockey. Um, you know, as you say, he's got a bit of a king, but once he gets his head down and races, he's got a lovely way of going. I, I think this could be a, a real lovely, really nice horse. And again, you know, Eve's better qualified than me, but I'd be quite happy if, from a punting point of view, I've seen a horse over the same sort of conditions I'm going to get in two weeks' time, <laughs> I'd be happy enough mm. rather than what, you know... No, he acts on the track. Absolutely, you know, everything, you know. really, yeah. And, you know, settling was the key, I think. Uh, you mentioned they had one, two in the Craven. They also had one, two in the Field and Stakes. Highland Avenue, I thought, was the most beautiful horse. And not, not just because he's grey. I'm not soppy about <laughs> grey horses. But he's got an amazing presence to him. This way. And he obviously doesn't show them an awful lot at home. Is that something you like in a horse, the ones that don't show much at home and, and the ones that really sort of then slightly surprise you? Oh, yeah, they're much better. The other way around's awful. If you've got morning glory at home, that's something that works the house down and then gets, gets there and can't put, can't put two and two together. It's awful. But actually, when they're just... Loaf about at home and they save the best for the track. They are always going to improve because they improve every time they run. Um, and this horse could, you know, he could really just improve and improve and improve, I think. He just looks dead straightforward to me. Come quite a long way in quite a short space of time yeah. as well, which suggests, as you, exactly as you say, that he wasn't high in their, their pecking order. I suppose the encouraging thing was really about the way the pair of them pulled clear. And that's the good thing that you've had for Godolphin all week, really. Um, the balance of power between the two Godolphin trainers. It's a bit like we were talking when we were last on the show, Nick, about the balance of power between Irish National Hunt and English National Hunt or British National Hunt. If you have the throughput, the young stock going mm. in one place for long enough, sooner or later the balance tilts, and Charlie Apple, he's got them coming left, right and centre, whereas, you know, Saeed is left really with your Ben Battles and some of the slower-developing three-year-olds. So very, very powerful. I think Charlie Appleby would have walked away at the end of the week thinking it was an excellent few days. But Aidan O'Brien obviously doesn't run his very best horse at the Craven meeting. Yvonne, I asked the question earlier in the week, are Godolphin marching now or is it a bit of a phony war and we're just waiting until the Ballydoyle floodgates open when, when Guinea's weekend comes? I think it probably is a slight phony war. I mean, Aidan's never won the Craven, has he? So that, that just goes show, And yeah. he's won the Guinea's plenty of times. So, mm. you know, you put that into context, that, that's how it works. You look at the Irish racing, you know, he's starting to roll over there now. What, do you have four, four or five? Yeah, yeah they're quite well forward in Ireland. And they're starting they? to roll now. And then he has that big gallop morning at the car. I don't know if he's had that yet. We normally get to see that when they, he gallops about 20 in, in a bunch at a time. It's always, you'd love to be a fly on all do that. So that's, you know, that's a... Um, it'll be interesting when they come over, won't they? Yeah, the only thing I would say about the skirmishing party is he did, you're right, if he sends those sort of, you know... The, yeah, they sent the, the lesser ones. The foot soldiers yeah, exactly. to test the water. But the foot soldiers were sent packing. No, yeah. I mean, I mean, some yeah, of them ran yeah. wonderfully, actually. They, some of them fell out, really yeah. fell out the back you know, of the table. And, and so I would go home slightly, you know, yeah. reports given from the foot soldiers would be that they, yeah, they got a bit of a rap, but I think but this year as opposed to last year, I mean, Ryan at least can ride in England and Ireland and go and ride work over there. Whereas last year, I mean, he was just, he... he 
And I know a lot of jockeys just get on horses, but I know it's a very big team thing in Cornwall. They all do a lot of work riding, they all do a lot of things. So I think that will make a big difference. Can we have a, a word for Jane Chappell-Hyam, who this week not only sent out the second in the Nell Gwynn, but also one of the most impressive maiden winners I've ever seen on the Roly Mile? She's good, isn't she? She's really well, good. She's got Jane. a couple of proper horses yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, she would have, I don't know what she's got, 10, 15 horses? Maybe she's got more now. That fill, I love that filly in the um, Nell Gwynn. Lovely filly, and she's going to improve for a mile. I, I wouldn't write her off for the guineas at all. That was the one thing about William's interview. I was surprised he said it might not have been a great race. I actually thought probably it could have been a f- relatively decent renewal. The right horses were there. He said yeah. Saffron Beach, Love Is You got a little bit lost and looked as if she'd definitely benefit from the extra furlong. I went away actually thinking that that was a reasonable I renewal. Of the I think the second horse is a very good filly. Mm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she turned the tables with a longer trip for her, and a, you know the other one might not get it. Yeah. Um, and she might. I, th- I think she could be... She definitely... I wouldn't write off the Guinness. Who's Saffron Beach? Yeah. Yeah, and, and this was the thing. Last back end, when she won the second of the two races at Newmarket, there was that very tempting idea of going to the Breeders' Cup because I think she'd yeah. got a win in your in ticket. Yeah, yeah. And they said, no, we'll, we'll yeah. leave it. She's, and I think, she's I really think good. in that instance it I was the Jane's right call. I think Jane's really good. She's really good with the horses. Um, very One-on-one attention. Mm. She's a very, very good trainer. You know how much she loves going abroad and yeah. running, in, running in races abroad as exactly. well. So. That would be a huge result if Saffron Beach were to to win the 1,000 guineas for her. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. The jump season is drawing gently to a close, but if they were dying embers, they have been fanned into flames by the, the battle for the Jockeys' Championship. I'm not going to say he's got it in the bag because anything could happen in the next week. But Harry Skelton joins me on the line now after what's been a very productive few days. Harry, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How do you feel now? Um, well, yeah, obviously it's nice to have a lead, but um, it's not over by any means. You know? There's still plenty of races um, to be won and, yeah, um, a, few, you know, a good few days left. Yeah. Are you exhausted? Um, I'm not actually used to it anyway, you know. Um, obviously, we've had a lot of horses to run and um, plenty of miles, but um, it's, it's all every day just just keeps rolling on, and um, so you, um, you get to the races and the adrenaline kicks in, and away you go again. So um, that's um, it's, uh, plenty of miles to be done, but um, no, we're all right. And, and this obviously started to. to become a possibility sort of around about Christmas time. When, when did you think, yeah, I've got a better chance this year than, than perhaps, than perhaps might have been the case in, in previous seasons? Um, to be honest, we, we had a treble at, at, um, at Ascot. Um, and I think come out of there, I think that was sort of February time, um, come out of there about 12, 14 behind. And then suddenly thought, oh, well, but not we're not too far behind, and yeah. that was the first sort of point where we thought we'd better, um, you know, just keep doing what we're doing, and we've got plenty to run, so keep trying to, you know, push for it. I mean, for you this season, what have been what have been your sort of personal highlights? Um, well, I've been very lucky. Obviously, I had a great Christmas with Politolog and, and All Mankind winning the Grade One double at Sandown. Um, my Drogo. Has improved, you know, rapidly up up the ranks, and 
is a horse that we're just really excited about for the future and to get on horses like him and that's what you know it's it's very special and you know hopefully for the future you've got some good horses to ride um but i mean you know the horses have been in great form it's you know credit to our team at home at lodge hill um i can't thank them all all enough and and you know it, the horse has been in great form all year and that that takes a lot a lot of doing and that's not that's not me that's the team at home um keeping them in that in that health all year and you've got this great working relationship with with Dan as well. It's a it's great to see you know, two family members working so closely together with such fabulous results. How do you how do you complement each other? Do you think? Because it's not always easy to work with your own family. No, it's not. Um, but you know, maybe we've always sort of said we can maybe go a little bit over the line sometimes and and not be afraid too much of what we say to each other. Um, Hopefully he's not going to sack me and I'm not going to walk away. But um, <laughs> I think that just then just doesn't, you know, hopefully then we're, you know, ticking all the boxes and nothing's left and, and you know, nothing left to be turned over as such. Um, I can really question, you know, anything we, we need to. We can question each other about it and hopefully then we can get it right. So because you trust each other so much and because your your relationship is so close, you can just lay it all out there. Yeah, I think so. I've got we've got nothing to hide from each other. Um, you know, I've got full belief in him, and uh, he's most important. He, he's he's a he's a brilliant brother, and he, he is he's a fantastic trainer. I mean, what he's done in such a short space of time is unbelievable. But that that's him. That's his his mindset, his his, his drive, his passion, and I suppose that comes through dad from from the both of us. And when you were down to just a handful of winners a season, you know single-figure winners in a, in a season. How did you push through that to become the jockey that you've become today? Um, just by sort of having the right people around you. Like, you know, at the time it was, it was difficult, but um, Bridget and her family played a big part at that time. Um, they were, you know, they were around all the time for me. Um, you know, my dad and, and Dan and, and just family, really, and good friends. And, like, then it was a case of, you know, like I was always, uh, the hunger and the passion was always there that I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, try and succeed and do the best I could. And um, I've never been afraid of work. And that's something that's been drilled into us from a very young age from my dad. And, you know, um, we we're never allowed to sit on, sit on our backside for too long and, um, we always used to make a bit of a joke of it that when we first started out, that um, we always I used to live on the yard at that point in a log cabin, and when we used to hear the quad coming up the road, we knew Dad was on the way, and we used to jump up off the sofa if it was lunchtime and just pretend we were doing something. <laughs> I think that that tells its own story. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I'm very pleased to have a, a very special guest with us on Luck on Sunday today here live at Newbury. I'm going to take you back, first of all, nearly eight years to 2013 when our intrepid reporter Alex Steedman went up and down the country for a This Racing Life special to feature three riders who were about to graduate from the pony racing scene. They seem to have done quite well. John Joe Neal, Harry Cobden... And? Um, when I was about 10, 
I, well, my dad used to train, and I, was, I always used to want to be a jockey. So the first thing I thought was I want a pony race <laughs> as soon as I was old enough. So I got on my little pony club pony and took him to the local point to point and galloped him around there. <laughs> Came the last for about 20 lengths. And then I did a few races on him. And then I thought I need to get a better pony now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you'd always sort of wanted to get into to racing? You had a, a family background in the yeah, sport? Yeah, yeah. My mum and dad used to be jockeys as well. So I've always been influenced on them, really. Did they encourage you? Yeah. Yeah, my dad encourages me the most, probably. And teach you a little as well? Yeah, taught me a lot. Tell us a bit about how your racing experiences were, because they were aligned alongside Point to Points. Tell us how that worked. Yeah, well, we have race course series and Point to Point series, and on the Point to Point series, you don't have to carry a weight. You're just sort of the lightest jockey and sort of has an advantage so I just stick to the point-to-point -point series and it's good it's it's just on you just go around the outside of the jumps go flat out okay yeah. so and would that, that be on days when they're racing same same, same days as point-to-point -point, either before or after yeah. and and what is it about the the pony racing that has prepared you for the job and the work and the life that you find yourself in now and it's made me realize how hard it is <laughs> to, to be any good um, it's taught me how to ride, basically. Um, yeah, and then when you're in race situations as well, it's taught me. And if you had a bit of advice for, say, someone who's in your position five years ago wanting to get into it, what would you say to them? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you have a good or bad pony. You're probably off with a pony that's not any good because <laughs> it teaches you how to ride better than just sitting there on a push-button pony. Now, you're with David Evans riding horses for him? Yeah, when I was, as soon as I turned 16, I came up and rode out every weekend. And then I was part-time since two months ago. I used to just come up on the weekends and ride out. Then I got sort of employed. And now, because I'm going to apply for my apprentice licence, once all the courses are sorted out, I'm full-time now. And if you can sort of sit back for a minute and try and believe or imagine where you might be in a couple of years' time. What are your ambitions? Hopefully riding as an apprentice in a few months and see how that goes, really, yeah. Well, it seems to have, um, it seems to have gone all right since then, doesn't it? Hundreds of winners later, Group 1 winners, broken every record, on the podium of Sports Personality of the Year. That was a, that was a lovely interview with Alex. Do you remember that day? Yeah, I remember that day pretty clearly, to be honest. It was... Um... A long time ago now. <laughs> oh, what did you think then about the life you were about to get into? Or well, already were in, I suppose. Um, I just never expected I'd get to where I've got. Probably thought things were going to be a lot easier than they were back then, and I was in my own little bubble. But, um, yeah, I can't complain too much. <laughs> you definitely can't. There's 49 winners already for this calendar year. I, I just want to go back to those days, though, and, and the pony racing, because it was quite interesting. There was a... <sighs> There was a real sort of carefree spirit about the way you were talking about it. You know, just get on these ponies. It doesn't matter if they're bad. They're, it's better almost if they're naughty, bad ponies because you learn more about riding and you just hair around the outside of these jumps. <laughs> was, there, was there something about that whole world then that just gave you loads of confidence? Yeah, definitely. You know, I wasn't very successful pony racing. You know, I didn't have the best ponies. I, you know, I was lucky enough to even be, you know, in a position that my parents put me in to have a pony to, to compete in pony racing and pony club. But, um, you know, I wasn't massively successful, but it never bothered me. It didn't faze me. I was tailed off every time I rode. I was just 
happy to be on the back of a horse. <laughs> but there was obviously that there was obviously that real competitive instinct in you. I mean, but was it was it starting off on the back foot that kind of was quietly just spurring you on? Yeah, probably. I you know I I found myself in a position where I was always trying to just keep up with the rest of the lads. You know, try and be as good as the rest of them and. You know, maybe I wasn't at that stage, and it took me quite a long time. But um, I'm glad it's, it, you know, things were that way round. You know, what I didn't realise is that when, there were two branches. Well, until I re- listened to that interview with Alex, that there were two branches of the pony racing sport, and the point-to-point branch, you you didn't they didn't equalise the weights. No. So, so you were you were a bit of an advantage. Well, I still had to be a fair. full stone advantage, and I still used to be tailed off most of the time. <laughs> um, but I, I did ride a few winners. I was lucky enough. I um, loaned a nice little pony from um, Alison and Nick Champion. I think Sam Tristan Davies actually had her before me, and I rode a few winners on her. Um, she was a mini racehorse, so we had a few, you know, a few funny tales. I I grew up riding a kick along pony that I couldn't get out of a trot, and used to bury me every every day to ride in this. Um, this little filly that couldn't hold one side of, and <laughs> um, so she taught me, taught me well. <laughs> but those, yeah, those of us who've, who've who've ridden as kids, you go one way or the other. You, know, you either get put off by those sort of experiences, or they just make you want more and more and more of them. Was it always the the latter with you? Yeah, definitely. I I didn't seem to be phased by much, um, <laughs> which is a bit worrying. But um, yeah, I just get on with it really, and you know, my parents were pretty, you know, used to let me get on with things and do what I want. I was never pushed into doing anything or held back, really. So there was never a feeling from them as you were growing up, oh, you've got to do this, we want you to be a rider, sort of fulfil our dreams, if you like, from from our day? No, not at all. I mean, they both rode, so I was influenced by what they did, and I was never pushed into anything or, you know, told what to do. I kind of made my own decisions, (laughs) and they supported that. I'm fascinated to know how your success, I mean, and especially the profile in the last year, how how that's impacted on on the family and how they've how they've responded to it. Oh yeah, I think um, you know, especially my dad. I'm kind of living his his dream. You know, he 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 rode on the flat. He was actually apprenticed to Richard Hannon, which is where I did my apprenticeship. So um, now I'm just glad to be making them feel proud and. You know, they support me so much, so I'm very lucky. Was that one of the reasons why you went to Richard's? Was it, did you want to follow in, in his um, footsteps? Well, I, I started off, obviously, with Dave Evans. Mm. Um, it was really convenient. He was only just over an hour away from where I was brought up in Herefordshire, so it wasn't too far from home, and I got a real good grounding there, as you can imagine, and rode Dave a few winners and, you know, learnt the basics, and then I needed to take the, you know, next step as such, and, um, you know, Tom was already at... Richards. Yeah. Um, so it just, you know, just I just fell into a position there, and you know, just went there with no real. I don't know. I just went there without knowing what was going to happen. Really, I was either going to it was either going to make or break me, and luckily it worked out well. <laughs> it's quite funny. I mean, Tom's obviously been riding in Australia, and, and I guess comes he come back this week. Um, he comes back tomorrow morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and people talk about how you you, know, you complement each other and you have slightly sort of different personalities, different styles. But the one thing that's always struck me about talking to both of you is how you both seized an opportunity kind of out of nowhere as early as you possibly could. And you were saying, in, in, imagine you just, you just pat your bag when you were 16 and that's it. You're off to Dave Evans. You both got that incredible sort of independence at a very, at a very young age. Were you always quite a kind of... Were you that sort of person? Yeah, I suppose we 
both quite similar in that regard. If we want to do something, we'll do it, whether it's together or alone, as you can tell by Tom, yeah. <laughs> Tom's actions over the last few years. But, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got to be a bit selfish and you've got to do things to help yourself out. Um, so, you know, every opportunity you get, you've got to take it with both hands. But you, you, know, you know what I'm getting at, don't you? Because I'm thinking of myself at 16. I don't know what you were like, but you just, right, that's what I'm going to do. Off I go. And also put yourself in a yard that is not going to immediately thrust you to stardom. Yeah, I think that that's what comes across, isn't it, with people who are successful. You tend to forget some of the challenges you've had along the way. And it's that phrase, isn't it, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. You know, it's almost as if that desire to succeed or just take your chance and, and run with it. For me, I suppose it was going to Hong Kong, but just after I was getting established here, thinking, well, if I didn't do it, I'd always sit back and think, why didn't I give it a go? So... But it, it can be hard. You can be, you know, when you're on your own in a new environment, five days in, having fallen off one, yeah. must, must quite quite a strength of character. Yeah, that's it. I've always kind of believed in if something's not working, you've got to change it. And um, that's kind of how I've, you know, played my cards over the last few years. But I suppose, you know, rewind five years back, I was quite happy in a comfort zone, um, you know, just day in, day out doing what I do. But over you know recently any opportunity I've been offered or anything that's come up I really need to take with both hands now. Were you always very self-critical in terms of in terms of your actual ability as a rider was that does that go back all the way or is that something that's developed over the last few years? Um, No I've always been the same really Um, something I wish I wasn't as bad with but I probably wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't like that mentally. I don't know. Yeah, I like Works for me, but maybe not others. <laughs> yeah, but it's important. You, you need to exist with yourself on a day-to-day basis, set yourself challenges, but not beat yourself up if it doesn't work. But I'm interested in what you're saying about when you were in your comfort zone. That obviously wasn't enough. No, it wasn't enough. And when you're in your comfort zone, it's, you know, easy and things weren't working out, so I had to change it. <laughs> isn't, it isn't it working out that you're in the comfort zone? If that's the thing. It's identifying the fact that there's something you're just just not quite satisfied by it. Yeah, I think it took me long enough to get to where I've got to, but now I've realised staying at this level is even harder. Um, Mm. So that's why you've got to keep pushing yourself and trying to be better and, you know, go as far as you can. And also, I guess, when you've you've ridden so many winners as you did last year, you've had all those accolades, you've ridden at at the highest level and you've had Group 1 winners. Do you feel now that you're going to be scrutinised through a slightly different lens? So people are looking at you. They're not looking at you as, oh, great, Holly Doyle, she had 100 winners. They're looking at you, right, well, um, how is she cutting it in a Group 1 race here? How is she cutting it in the elite? Yeah, that's it. I mean, over the last few years, I've, you know, ridden many winners each year, but um, I think I'm at that stage now where people are looking into the um, class of races in which I'm winning, which is really important to try and get on that better type of horse, which over the last year or so, I've been really lucky and that has been happening. But um, like I said, you've got to keep pushing forward to keep things rolling. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's, self, it's evident to all of us that it, you, you've driven your, your career brilliantly. But I'm really interested to know Dave Evans, Richard Hannan, Archie Watson. I don't think there are three more different types of, <laughs> types of people. What would you say each of them has contributed to, to the Holly Doyle we see riding now? Um, massively, really. I mean, at Dave's, I was very young and immature. I wasn't a great rider, but he, you know taught me the basics, gave me a good grounding, um, didn't let me get above myself and 
kept me level-headed. Um, I suppose at Richards, I was, you know, made a rider of me, really. I, you know, riding those yearlings all winter, um, you know, makes or breaks you. And, you know, I really loved it there and um, had such a, such a good few years. And, um, you know, I can't even explain as an apprentice the amount of opportunities you get and how much you learn from being around good jockeys and good horses and, you know, good people. Um, so that was a huge, you know, contributor. And obviously then I made the move to Archie's, who, who was, um, you know, a massive pivotal point in my career because I went there with no claim. Mm. So when, you le- when I lost my claim, I could have, you know, stayed with Richard, which, you know, I still have a good connection with and still ride out there every now and then. But, um, you know, got to sit back and assess the situation I was in. You know, at Dex, am I going to be at the... At the front of their mind when they've got the likes of Sean Levy, Pat Dobbs, Ryan Moore, probably not. Um, so Archie was willing to give me opportunities, which I've taken with both hands. And and, and you caught somebody on the up as well, and he caught That's you it, on the yeah. up, and it's like perfect timing. He, I mean, I don't know Archie Watson that well. He's obviously massively successful. I chat to him occasionally. He's very intense, isn't he? A very driven guy. Yeah, he's very driven. He knows what he wants. He knows what he wants to achieve with each horse. He has a campaign. He'll have a campaign planned for every two-year-old in the yard that hasn't even run yet. And, um, no, he's just very ambitious. But one thing he is is he's very loyal. Um, And I think to be um, connected with someone such as Archie, who's very loyal, it's, um, you know, it's great as a jockey. (laughs) Mm. So you, you feel that he's got total trust in you? Um, yeah, I suppose yeah. we've built up a good relationship over the last few years. We've had some great results and, you know, I know the horse is inside out, so I go out there with plenty of confidence and hopefully he has confidence in me, so it's a good team we it's have. A, it's actually not dissimilar to the way that Henry de Bromhead was talking about the way that he and Rachel Blackmore have built up their partnership over the over the last few years. I, I don't know if you were, you were listening to some of their interviews that last weekend. Yeah, I suppose it sounds not dissimilar. Um, but, you know, I suppose one thing in a working relationship, relationship like that is trust. You know, mm. the trainer's got to trust their jockey. And, you know, I've got to have trust within the horse and the trainer. So um, without that, I mean, you know, you, you wouldn't be having a lot of success, would you? Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.